0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talking Terror brought to you by the Terrorism and Extremism Research Centre here at the University of East London. I'm John Morrison. Today's podcast was recorded on International Women's Day the 8th of March 2018 and at approximately 9.20am. It is my great pleasure to welcome onto today's pod one of the best researchers there is on terrorist use of the internet, cyber-terrorism and all aspects to do with the connection between terrorism and the internet. Dr. Maura Conway from Dublin City University is a professor, professor of international security in the School of Law and Government. She's also the coordinator of VoxPol, an EU-funded project on violent online political extremism. You can go to their website voxpol.eu. There's your plug now, Maura. Uh, Mora principal has principal research interests in the area of terrorism and the internet, I've said, including cyberterrorism, the functioning and effectiveness of violent political extremist online content and violent online radicalization. She's the author of over 40 articles and chapters in her specialist areas. Her research has appeared among, in, amongst others, studies in conflict and terrorism, media war and conflict, parliamentary affairs and social science computer review. Professor Conway has presented her findings before the United Nations in New York, the Commission of the European Union in Brussels, the Club to Madrid, the House of Lords and elsewhere. She is a member of the uh, Academic Advisory Board of Europol's Counterterrorism uh, Centre. And uh, Laura, welcome on board. Thanks for appearing on today's pod. Thanks a million for asking me, John. So, you know the drill. First question I ask everyone is, how did you get involved in this area of research?
1: Right. Well, like yourself, I guess um, I grew up in Ireland uh, in the 1980s and 1990s. And we used to talk all the time about uh, Northern Ireland and the IRA uh, and what have you, uh, especially my dad, but around our dinner table, Mm -hmm. um, it was a a topic of conversation uh, routinely. My own personal interests have never uh, really been in sort of Irish nationalism or republicanism uh, or what have you. But certainly I think uh, that experience uh, and all the media coverage as well, and, and you'll remember it too, uh, of the troubles uh, yeah. in those years, um, I, I think influenced uh, me to develop an interest uh, in the intersections between violence uh, and politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, for my undergraduate, uh, I studied uh, law, but also sociology and politics. So all of my close friends uh, are lawyers mm-hmm. so i guess if i'm ever in get myself in strife i'm okay <laughs> Not that, so, that could ever
0: happen.
1: <laughs> so uh but that wasn't really for me and and uh i went into a, a class at uh, what used to be ucg is now the national university of ireland in galway uh, in my undergraduate degree um, the only class uh, i believe in is still they ever taught uh, about international relations Uh, and and I really liked that and I followed up and did an MA in international relations and then um, in my MA I really became interested in the study of terrorism uh, and the intersections between terrorism and international relations and when I started my PhD what I was actually most interested in was ideas around the globalization of terrorism yeah. And at that time, uh, there wasn't much work done about terrorism and globalization. And actually, there still isn't much work done about terrorism and globalization, not in an explicit kind of yeah. a way. At that time, too, I was much more interested uh, in, in theory. So I was, I was thinking of going down a theory route. Uh, and actually... Um, Uh, It's funny thinking about it now, Um, I was very much into um, sort of postmodern political theory Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. And even still, actually, I I, I review and I uh, supervise uh, students, PhD students also, uh, who who take those kind of approaches because I still very much appreciate them. But um, I began to think of, uh, okay, how would you study globalization and terrorism? And I began to think of what might be some interesting cases. Yeah. And one of the ones uh, that I thought of uh, was with respect to the internet. I thought, okay, this has uh, a potentially, it, it, it's, it has globalizing potential uh, with respect to terrorism. And then I got totally sucked into the terrorism internet. Uh,
0: and were there many researching it around then? They-
1: Not really. And, and it's an interesting one. Um, I had this experience actually around that time, um, Gabby Wyman has, who's at the University of Haifa uh, and who's well known for his um, well his work on media and terrorism yeah. over decades, um, but also two prominent uh, texts in particular about terrorism uh, and the internet. Mm-hmm. And at about the same time that I start, first started doing this work, he also first started doing this mm-hmm. work. Um, but you know, there was no Twitter or, or, or whatnot. So I had absolutely no idea that he was undertaking, uh, you know, similar sort of work, and it's one of those interesting things where I guess people, and and this has happened in a whole bunch of different realms, where where people independently, completely independently of each other, mm-hmm. begin to focus on similar things. Yeah. Well, because the, you know they they observe that you know um, whatever's happening, mm-hmm. and they observe it where they are, and somebody observes it somewhere else and begins to look into it also. So so that's kind of what happened. So he was he was sort of the main person who was doing work really explicitly on terrorism in the internet at that time.
0: Okay, um, so he was he was involved in this research in parallel to you, not on a, both unaware of each other at the time, but what other pieces of research were influencing you in the way that you were thinking
1: about it? Yeah, those? well, I guess what I would say is that, um, I generally say to people, I'm kind of a one trick pony. So I've always, uh, from that time, focused on the one hand on so-called cyber terrorism mm-hmm. uh and uh i guess the risk uh of that uh and i'm a skeptic okay and uh, secondly um i've always argued that really what we should focus on instead, so rather than cyber terrorism as commonly understood, we should focus on sort of everyday terrorist uses of the internet, if you like, and in particular sort of of influence operations Mm. uh, and that kind of thing. And uh, there was was a couple of different, people who were sort of commenting on these issues at that time there was uh, a book so when you asked me for uh, three influencing pieces of mm. research there was a book by a guy called Dan Burton it was called black ice the invisible threat of cyber terrorism and I read that and I, I, I disagreed with almost every page <laughs> of this particular text um, and but later I um, Around the same time, but a little later, I read um, Arkilla and Romfeldt mm-hmm. um, on their sort of networks uh, and net war. And they have a number of different uh, pieces, but they, yeah. they have a nice piece in a book that you can still download for free from uh, the RAND um, website, uh, which is uh, called The New Terrorism. Uh, and in their chapter in that uh, particular book, uh, they they... Talk about the the potential for attacks and critical infrastructures and that kind of thing. But a larger part of their focus is on, you know, network structures and the increasingly network nature of terrorist organizations at that time in the late 1990s uh, and how that might change, you know, the face of terrorism going forward. And they focus in particular on communication. Uh, And communicative uh, technologies. And that's the way that
0: your research has gone then.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, for me, I guess that core sort of argument um, has has remained. So that argument that, okay, uh, it's interesting to think about the cyber terrorism Mm. threat and it cannot be wholly uh, ruled out, obviously, because we don't know how our information and technology is going to technology environment is going to change going forward. but right now and, and for me uh, in in the short term um, but potentially in the longer term also are uh, we're uh, it's more useful to focus on uh, terrorist uses in the internet like I say and in particular their sort of content production and dissemination strategies their influence strategies and the impacts of those
0: and this is what you're when we get on to your own your own piece of research I, I'm' we're gonna start with looking at a piece of yours called Reality Check, which I think is a great, really neat piece. And it argues really clearly this distinction between cyber terrorism and terrorist use of the internet. But before we get on to that, I'm sure all our listeners are wanting to know what was so bad with Dan Furton's book? <laughs> what, what was it? Had you go disagreeing with every page?
1: Well, I have to say, first of all, that it's it's a popular yeah. uh, text, so yeah. it's not an academic uh, text, but it got quite a lot of attention mm. um, at the time it was published, uh, and uh, it's one of these things where uh, I guess he marshals a lot of evidence that seems to suggest that cyber terrorism is the next big thing. Yeah. And the thing about it is, cyber-terrorism is always the next big thing. Even, interestingly, um, immediately after 9-11, it came back again. People said, well, you know what? 9-11's happened. You know what's the next big thing? Cyber-terrorism is the next big thing. But I I always think uh, people have too much of a tendency uh, to focus on the cyber Mm. and not enough on the terrorism. Uh, and I think if you begin to think about it, not from the perspective of, okay, what are the holes um, in our cybersecurity? And there are holes in our cybersecurity. Yeah. There's no question about mm-hmm. that. But if we're talking about um, who the attackers uh, might mm-hmm. be, I think if you begin to think about that from a terrorism
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: perspective, then you can you come to um, a different place than that Dan Burton and others yeah. um, have come to.
0: And actually... So this is an, a sort of an what might seem like a more optimistic tone uh, about looking at this than than those who would harp on about cyber terrorism. And you have in that piece reality check. You give four reasons to be more optimistic than normal. What were these four reasons, and why? What was why were you so optimistic in writing this? Uh, more optimistic than others would be.
1: Right. So. I mean, I, I think optimistic is being too optimistic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so um, what I basically say is that um, in my opinion uh, and uh, in, in my analysis, um, that there are reasons to believe uh, that uh, terrorists will continue to adopt other approaches yeah. than cyber terrorism mm-hmm. uh, approach and in particular uh, what I do uh, in that analysis is, is I think through uh, the, the threat uh, from cyber uh, terrorism in conjunction mm-hmm. with what I consider to be a, and what is in fact a, a very commonplace um, type of terrorist attack which is the use of IEDs mm-hmm. so improvised ex- improvised explosive devices bombs basically whether it's vehicle bombs or just um stationary yeah. uh or what have you uh, and I, I make this uh I make this comparison mm-hmm. uh, and like you said uh, I, I make four points I guess uh basically uh so after underlining this point about uh really focusing on the terrorism mm-hmm. in cyber terrorism which i i really think uh, can't be overstated um i talk then about uh i guess the destruction factor uh, i think is uh, something major mm-hmm. uh and uh for me uh when you begin to think about things from a terrorism perspective um the destruction factor is quite quite uh important mm-hmm. uh, and in particular i think uh you know, the actual bang, uh, if you like, uh, when it comes to the use of uh, IEDs and indeed other types of uh, traditional, if you like, uh, attacks. Um, also, I guess, uh, the, the imagery and the and the coverage that these kinds of attacks generally get. Uh, because one problem, I think, uh, with the whole cyber terrorism paradigm is that there is a real possibility that most cyber terrorism type events that you can think of, and the, the ones that people often talk about are, for example, an attack on the electric grid yeah. or on uh, water supplies and etc. Many of those things, uh, A, happen routinely, relatively routinely anyway, even very large, uh, in fact, power outages. Large and lengthy power outages Mm -hmm. have happened uh, in Europe and the United States uh, over the last uh, couple of decades on a number of occasions. Mm -hmm. And then we know that they happen on a small scale, very routinely. Mm -hmm. Um, Weather incidents uh, and what have you make those happen all the time. So they're routine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, though, uh, they can often happen by accident, Uh, you know, whether it's uh, sort of some uh, natural thing like basically a tree falling on the line uh, or indeed uh, technology uh, accidents uh, and whatnot. Uh, And for me, um, I just uh, don't think that successful, in inverted commas, uh, terrorist attacks can be things that could be portrayed or apprehended as, um, being an accident mm-hmm. or just something, uh, you know, that occurred d- due to a weather incident, yeah. uh, or what have you. So that goes to the sort of the bang, uh, mm-hmm. or whatnot. Uh, so, that's an, an important one. The other thing that I think that is um, underemphasized from people talk about um, cyber terrorism and we, we talked about this just when I was congratulating you uh, on the on the podcast and I was saying to you yeah. you know people say all the time, oh you should do a podcast and you could do it on your iPhone yeah. and it'll only take X amount of time and yeah. it's a really simple thing to do. And, and I said to you I'm sure this wasn't a simple thing to do at all. Yeah. It takes a lot of time yeah. and resource and what have you yeah. and you agreed. I kind of think about cyber terrorism in the same way. People think, oh, it's a pretty straightforward thing. You know, there are holes in, in our critical infrastructures, in our cybersecurity, and it's no big deal to exploit one of those holes. Yeah. But actually, to exploit those holes uh, and in and in a way that would cause an, an attack of sufficient magnitude to have that bang for the buck and what mm-hmm. have you, uh, is, is no small undertaking uh, whatsoever. And you need uh, people with very specific knowledge. Yeah. You need all kinds of resources in addition to those people, including all kinds of technology, mm-hmm. and also time and money. Yeah. And even then, there's the possibility that it won't work, that it will be a total washout, that you'll be caught, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. And so um, this issue of cost, I think, um, whether, uh, you know, sort of knowledge costs and what have you but also literally um the the finances Mm -hmm. um are are not uh sufficiently uh addressed i think uh by people uh either so uh when when these things begin to pile up uh i i think too uh that that's important because it's not that either one of these uh points is detrimental but when you begin to take them all on board Mm -hmm. um i i think uh it becomes less and less attractive you know, from a terrorism uh, perspective. And one of the things that really resonated with me, I was at a workshop, it wasn't that long ago, uh, maybe a few years ago now, where I asked a room full of people who were were terrorism researchers and policy people and whatnot. Um, It was perhaps a year or so after Stuxnet, and I asked them if they had heard um, of Stuxnet. And not many people in the room had, but we were in Birmingham at the time, and I asked them who had heard of the Birmingham pub bombings, and everyone in the room had heard of the Birmingham pub bombings, which were decades uh, ago. Stuxnet was less than a year at that time. And the thing about it uh, is that it was a really good illustration, I think, of this, this whole thing, because Stuxnet was... Um, interesting from a cyber terrorism perspective, not because it was carried out uh, by terrorists or can be um, conceived of as a terrorism event, uh, it can't, but because um, it took a major amount of resources. Knowledge, resources, again, so people with really specific Mm know-how. It took money, probably millions of dollars. It took the weight of the states uh, behind it to really get this money and knowledge and also the technology they needed probably to test it Mm -hmm. to get all that together. And at the same time, um, and in in my paper, um, uh, Reality Check, um, I talk about this too. Um, At the same time, the Boston bombing. Which cost about a hundred bucks for the two pressure cookers yeah. got vastly greater
0: yeah.
1: uh, media uh, attention. Yeah.
0: You know. Could you remind our listeners, because there are probably a number of our listeners going onto Wikipedia now, going, "What is Stuxnet? What exactly happened?" Ah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, it's probably the case uh, that the U.S. Uh, and the Israeli governments and potentially some others uh, have been mentioned uh, also uh, inserted uh, some malware. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they developed some software that would interfere um, with uh, a nuclear plant which is at Nantaz uh, in Iran. Uh, and the interesting thing that about this, well, there's many interesting things about this, but uh, it actually uh, affected it an actual physical part uh, of the reactor so one of the things that people had been saying up to that time is that there's a problem when you talk about this whole cyber terrorism thing because there's no real sort of physical impact can, right. you know can you you know, could you use? A, could a cyber terrorism attack kill people? Mm-hmm. And I guess arising out of this attack, people said, "Well, yes, actually, because look at this particular event." Mm-hmm. But it's to date, it's certainly an outlier yeah. event. But th- that beside the point. It, it it was hugely, hugely costly, and it took the resources of major. Uh, nation-states uh, who had really specific interests, yeah. uh, you know, in the Iranian uh, nuclear situation.
0: No, it's it's a hugely fascinating uh, case study to look at. I wouldn't have been overly aware of it myself. You know, this People is, I, aren't. As someone who spends my time reading about security issues, sure. it's, it's something that when I read it, I was reminded of it. But it, as you say, Birmingham bombing, Boston bombing. Straight away. Exactly. This is one of the aspects that you focus on as well is that one of the major things for a terrorist and it goes back to your original interest is communication. It's the, the media impact and the media impact of a cheap Uh, uh, vehicle-bound IED is much larger than this multi-million pound, hugely complex attack.
1: Absolutely, and if you think about it now with regard to the so-called Islamic State uh, and their activity, what they've done is really cheaply, almost for free if you if you think about it is they've sort of stated their position they, they've called on uh, people who support them mm-hmm. uh, to carry out attacks uh, and then they've uh, at, at this point they're saying you know just use um, ordinary household items uh, as it were whether it's uh, knives or mm-hmm. the vehicle that's sitting outside your door mm-hmm. uh, or what have you so these are literally no cost attacks they're no cost they can be carried out by absolutely absolutely anybody. You need no technical know-how whatsoever. Mm. All you need is sort of the desire to do Mm. this this thing Uh, and you will get a massive amount um, of coverage Mm. uh, for this in media. It will have an absolutely huge uh, impact. And from an IS perspective, uh, there's no risk, there's no cost. And th- and and they get this 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 hugely impactful outcome. So why in that situation would you seek to do some really complex, really costly, and you know, uh, type of attack that might come to nothing?
0: Yeah. and one of the aims of terrorism is the creation of fear. Absolutely. And if there, I feel that there's greater fear uh, if there's. If there's a belief that, well, anyone can drive a car and Absolutely. drive it into a crowd. Anyone can pick up a knife and go and, and stab Absolutely. someone. And if they're calling for this, if everyone is a potential terrorist, that creates greater fear versus these hugely complex attacks where there are only a select number of people Correct. who have that specialization. And only a select number of that select number have the motivation to use Correct. it in this way. Correct. As well. and yeah, it's, it's something that... It, it reminds me of I was talking to Richard Jackson in a podcast a few weeks ago. It hasn't come out by the time that we're doing this interview, but he, in a piece of his, was talking about there's too much emphasis on what is possible rather than what's probable. probable. That is, correct. and I think that's at the heart of what you're saying. Absolutely. Dear, as well, like it's a. I think it's as with all the pieces talked about here. It's a hugely important one, and anyone who wants to read it or see a link to to get uh, further access to the this piece, go onto our website, uel.ac.uk, slash T-E-R-C, and there'll be a link to uh, to Moira's piece here. One of the things, you, so we've talked about two of the pieces that influenced you, and there's one final piece that influenced you, uh, and it's by a well, very well-known uh, terrorism researcher, Walter LaCour, it's really just one one sentence, actually, that, that you're focusing on. It's in his piece, "The New Terrorism, Fanaticism, and the Arms of Mass Destruction." Destruction, published by Oxford University Press in 1999. When you sent this on to me, you, uh, most people just send the title. You sent a picture of the page that's <laughs> that's most info, a red line underlining What was it about this piece and this and uh, this particular sentence that uh, that influenced you?
1: So I I actually sent you the page from my copy um, Mm. of this text, which it's, it's actually, I shouldn't even say this, it's nearly 20 years old now, oh, my right. copy of the book. Yeah. yeah, and it's actually kind of yellowing. You can see it in <laughs> that. Know not all right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can see it in the image that yeah. I sent you. Uh, and on page 262 <laughs> of this particular text, citation there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, he, he says this, I'm going I'm to read it out to you because I, I underlined it almost, I guess, two decades ago now and it, and it really, influenced, it really mm. influenced me. He said, no amount of emails sent from the Becca Valley to Tel Aviv from Kurdistan to Turkey, from the Jaffna Peninsula to Colombo, or from India to Pakistan, will have the slightest political effect. Nor can one envisage how, in these conditions, virtual power will translate into real power. And I just thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that can't be right. Yeah. That seems hugely, hugely unlikely. And I, I'm, I'm not even sure why he went with this himself, because... Actually, he talks um, in, a, in around uh, the same point uh, in his book mm. um, about the audio cassettes oh. uh, by, uh, th- that influenced the Iranian uh, revolution mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that were smuggled into uh, Iran. Uh, but, uh, so they were um, lectures and whatnot uh, mm. of the Ayatollah uh, and uh, because he was in exile in Paris and they really had uh, a very significant impact, uh, many people say. And Lacquer act- absolutely acknowledges Thank that. You. So I thought, how in that instance, uh, can he think that this new technology, which maybe, I guess he wasn't very familiar yeah. with, yeah. Um, you know, but, but how could you think that it couldn't have um, e- an even greater uh, influence? Yeah. And, and so for me, Uh, that that really uh, resonated and so my PhD thesis uh, was precisely about uh, the websites the English language websites in fact Um, of terrorist organizations that were appearing on the U.S. State Department list of foreign designated terrorist organizations in 1998. There was a bit over 20 groups on the list at that time and about half of them, 10, had um, English language websites. A few more had uh, websites just in their own uh, languages.
0: And were you uh, focusing on one specific ideology there or across all ideologies? No, it was
1: across ideologies. Mm -hmm. So um, I looked at... Uh, everybody from Hamas and Hezbollah to the Shining Path, the Tamil Tigers, the New People's Army in the Philippines, Sendero Luminoso, uh, ETA, uh, and a number of others in fact.
0: And the reason I asked you this is because we're moving on to your next piece now, Determining the Role of the Internet, and you... Again, really neatly put forward six core questions that haven't yet been adequately addressed. And one of the things that you say is that there's an over, not an overemphasis on jihadi, uh, Islamic militancy use of the internet, but an underemphasis on other ideologies and other comparisons. And also, in relation to language as well, we don't have have a comparison across languages all these things yeah and that's one of the the points you make of a number of different uh different points so it's the the first point in the i'll just read it out word for word what you said we need a widening we need to widen the range of types of violent online extremism being studied beyond violent jihadis why did you say that
1: I think that's crucial. Yeah, you know, I think there's too much of an emphasis—not uh, even actually uh, on violent jihadis. There's mm-hmm. too much of an emphasis; it's narrowed down almost entirely to the so-called Islamic State. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in that piece, uh, I say we need to broaden, mm-hmm. and there's w- a number of ways in which we need to broaden. But but one of the most important is to get beyond uh, IS to look at other jihadis, uh, even. But but clearly then to to uh, to take things uh, even further mm-hmm. uh, and to begin to research again, you know, uh, other violent extremist and terrorist uh, actors because uh, IS are not the only uh, terrorist uh, organization remaining in existence. They're certainly not the only terrorist org- organization or violent excre- extremist group that are utilizing the internet uh, at the present time. Oh, yeah. And so, like I say, if we start with IS, we can uh, broaden out to um, other groups that are violent jihadi organizations that are operating the conflict uh, in the region uh, and even more even more widely Mm -hmm. but then we also need to think about uh, the extreme right uh, and their activity Mm -hmm. particularly I think uh, in a European uh, context uh, Mm -hmm. it behoves us you know uh, to uh, to not forget uh, about them and their activity but also a whole host of so-called old inverted commas terrorist organizations so more traditional nationalist separatist Mm -hmm. groups uh, and what have you Uh, and you know even if we believe that the so-called Islamic State are the most important uh, group um, operating at the present time because they pose the biggest threat uh, and what have you, I do think that um, you know uh, too narrow of a focus uh, on them uh, means that we sort of lose the bigger uh, picture. Mm-hmm. And comparison yeah. is always uh, something worthwhile. So yeah. even if you just want to say something about IS... Uh, uh, yes, it's always worthwhile uh, to do comparison because it throws uh, up things that you wouldn't have uh, thought of otherwise, absent doing the actual empirical um, comparative work. Mm. I do also say we need to um, get beyond uh, English language. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, even uh, I guess the work uh, on IS, more of it needs to be looking at the Arabic uh, language content. But then again, we need to, to widen things out and look at, you know, um, Turkish, uh, mm. Hindi, uh, Urdu, German, mm-hmm. Hungarian, uh, whatever mm. you know you're having yourself in terms of um, just just trying to broaden things out uh, again. And then thirdly, I guess I would say is that we're too focused um, on a single platform or a small number of platforms. Yeah. And I'm I'm absolutely guilty um, of this myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so many people have done work about um, ISIS and their activity on Twitter. Yeah. And in many ways, it was it a wholly legitimate thing to do because um, IS were absolutely wedded uh, to Twitter. Yeah. And they persisted on that platform until they were routed uh, from that platform mm-hmm. by the um, activity um, of of Twitter uh, themselves, um, but we, we do need to to look at other um, platforms. Um, you know, uh, even other major platforms, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, but increasingly also, if we're talking about the extreme right and others, uh, indeed, it's interesting to look at uh, 4chan, yeah. uh, Reddit, uh, Gab, uh, etc. And there is of course the tricky issue of telegram because we know that that's where uh the i s uh, community have migrated uh to having said that there there is an important point and I don't think it gets stated enough which is that many of us uh, focused on twitter uh because like I said legitimately i s we're heavy users of Twitter, but also because of the nature of Twitter as a platform and its API, yeah. um, it's public, mm-hmm. you know, and it's much harder, for example, to research Facebook. And almost certainly there was the same or more, I would go for more activity uh, on Facebook mm-hmm. than there ever was on Twitter but it's just uh, an ethical quagmire yeah. you know uh, to to research facebook and we're facing something somewhat similar and when we talk about uh, telegram both as regards the api so the the ability to automate or semi-automate uh, data collection uh, mm-hmm. from Telegram, but also particularly in a European context with data protection rules and that kind of thing, I think uh, to get uh, an IRB to, uh, to to gain permission uh, to, to access um, IS uh, channels uh, on Telegram is going to be uh, a tricky enough thing uh, potentially.
0: So does it seem like they're using different platforms for different purposes then? So it would what, telegrams being used for, for be very different to what facebook very different to what fortune very different to what twitter is is being used for or is bacteria
1: um you know in my opinion uh the, the push uh off twitter you know caused them to sort of go to what was already a sort of a backup mm-hmm. uh platform um which was uh, which is uh, Telegram, but they have a much greater reliance on Telegram uh, now uh, th- than they did, say, in uh, 2015, let's mm-hmm. say, you know, uh, even 2016. I mean, they, they have a, a, a very heavy reliance uh, on Telegram uh, at the present time. Um, Telegram is a very different uh, platform to Twitter. Uh, but the thing about it is that, you know, a lot of the time people portray IS as sort of um, playing the internet, you know, wholly to their own advantage. But the internet is has its own structures mm-hmm. and they don't play to IS. So um, they play on IS and, and other actors uh, all the time. So when they when they cast around for another platform, you know, they, um, they, they just sort of, um, I don't want to say decided on Telegram, but but where the community reconstituted, you know, for yeah. various reasons was on Telegram. But Telegram is not a social networking platform uh, in the same way that Twitter is. Mm. It's not uh, public in the same way yeah. as Twitter is. You've got to jump more uh, hurdles to uh, be a Telegram user. Um, you know, it doesn't um, have the same penetration uh, as Twitter does in, in various uh, regions. Uh, and whatnot, uh, and uh, it's not searchable uh, mm-hmm. in the same in the same way. So you you can't social network uh, on Telegram in the same way uh, as you could. Uh, on Twitter. And so there are ways in which uh, they're, they're disadvantaged, especially in terms of the publicness mm-hmm. um, and the easy accessibility of the platform. They're advantaged in other ways yeah. because of the, the ability to engage in encrypted uh, yeah. communications um, to a greater degree uh, and what have you. And also the, the hosting ability uh, on Telegram is, is pretty significant uh, also.
0: I, I was surprised. I, it's, it's sort of linked with, with uh, another piece that we're going to get onto uh, in a bit. Uh, it's called Disrupting Diet, uh, where you're looking at, at Twitter specifically. But you one of the things that you saw is that very small amount of the accounts that you were looking at were actually pushing uh, users towards the Telegram channel? Yeah, was that, right. this surprising for you? Actually, yeah, zero point zero four percent or something. I yeah,
1: thought, it, yeah, it was. Uh, it was surprising mm. uh, to us. I guess there's, um, you know, a number of uh, possible explanations. Um, you know um at different points in time uh is have told their followers uh their supporters uh you know don't do this don't do that yeah. uh, for example you know uh don't uh, don't use SureSpot, spot don't use x y or z um mm. other um application because they had uh they, they thought there were risks uh, involved with it for whatever uh, reason uh and so i guess there's there's this possibility that they're saying okay d- don't make these uh Connections, um, yeah. There's there, there could be a variety um, of uh, other reasons for that also. But I will say that we were um, we were quite surprised uh, mm. not to find, especially in bios uh, yeah. and that kind of thing. But again, um, there there is this thing where it, it's it's more closed off, mm. uh, you know, than than um, than other th- not other social media platforms than social media mm. platforms because it's not strictly speaking, you yeah. know, a social media platform. Yeah.
0: No, it's, uh, no, I find that, I find it interesting, and we'll get on to that piece in, in a bit. One of the things, though, I, like, that really, like, I was interested by everything in this article, but one of the things that, that really stood out for me is when you're comparing Al-Qaeda and IS, you talk about IS being familiar, interactive, and cool in the way yeah. that they use it, and, versus Al-Qaeda being their online content being remote, undirected, and boring. Yeah. You know, what? What? No. How does this manifest what is the boring remote undirected content that aq has versus what is does
1: well I, I think um i think even if if you think about a lot of the stuff that uh al-qaeda um have put out um over time well certainly uh, back in the post nine eleven in mm-hmm. the mid 2000s and whatnot um that's kind of Comparing in some respects apples and oranges, if we compare that AQ yeah. content with contemporary IS content, yeah. because that was pre even the real, the social media age and whatnot. You know, um, uh, it's much easier now to produce what are what is called all the time in inverted commas this slick. Yeah. right um content that we associate uh, with is but even up to the present time you know a lot of the stuff that's produced by aq is basically Azar speaking to camera okay. you know so which is an elderly bearded man uh just you know talking uh, sometimes quite lengthily mm-hmm. uh you know versus these really sort of um filmic Mm-hmm. you know Hollywood type um videos that have been produced uh, by is you know uh, which feature you know lots of young men engaged in sort of acts of a violent daring do and um you know there's there's those are two quite distinctly different you know modes
0: Hugely. like and you call for it in this paper that we need to be more interdisciplinary we need to draw on other disciplines so with this in mind should we be even looking at um um, marketing and and <laughs> other, like even outside of the cyber and outside of the terrorism, mm. but look at, at uh, research that's done in, in areas like that.
1: Yeah, and interestingly, um, actually really quite some time ago now, so back uh, in the mid-2000s, when people were focused uh, on Al-Qaeda and um, the the, uh, the videos that began to emerge and what have you, um, some of the marketing literature and whatnot was drawn on. Mm. Um, more interesting to me, though, at the present time uh, is people who who are doing more sort of a cultural studies yeah. uh, and that kind of thing? And uh, Thomas Heghammer, um has a great book um, that just came out in the past few months, I guess, uh, about jihadi uh, culture. Yeah. And 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 that's really, I guess, uh, what I was something like that is what I was thinking of mm. uh, uh, when I, I I discussed these issues uh, in that paper, you know, mm. and sort of more sort of I guess ethnographic anthropological Mm -hmm. uh type um approaches um Mm -hmm. i i think are uh potentially um might get us uh someplace interesting also
0: so what are the challenges then if we're going to do this virtual ethnography or as has been coined by some people, netnography. Netnography. <laughs> How? What? so what would this involve? Um, and you talked about ethical issues as well. What would the ethical issues in relation yeah, to this? Yeah, so
1: I'm actually, I've, I've come be quite, become quite interested uh, in the sort of ethics of doing this research, uh, circulating this research uh, mm. and whatnot. Um, I don't think we've paid sufficient attention uh, to it. Mm. Uh, and I think it's really quite, quite uh, important um for example uh i guess um like i've said already um th- there's a whole issue now around telegram yeah. uh, and i do think it, it will be interesting uh when people uh face off i guess against ethics review boards or uh, institutional uh review boards partic- particularly in european uh context like i say because there's much more stringent data privacy uh protections in the european context than there is in the american context uh for example Um, but also just the idea that you have to have sort of phone numbers and and this Mm. kind of thing so there's these various barriers you know to actually engaging on telegram and then you can also find yourself in pretty relatively small groups uh, if you like and so all kinds of ethical uh, issues arise in these instances that I think we really need to think through Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not just about that it's also uh, things I think like um, you know, many people now are very active uh, on Twitter uh, in particular. So, yeah. t- so Twitter is pretty beloved of journalists and uh, academics uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's it's hugely hugely uh, useful to sort of keep abreast of you know what's going on in your particular area, especially if you're interested in violent extremism, terrorism, so, and the net. Yeah. Um, so, no surprise there. But you know, um, a lot of people, for example, um, are circulating uh, is content. Uh, Uh, on Twitter, so I mean academics now in addition to journalists uh, and others and that raises uh, interesting questions I think um, ethically also Uh, and then too there's all kinds of issues around I think um, you know publication Mm -hmm. um, you know identifying users uh, in publications uh, and that kind of thing uh, and a whole host of uh, other issues around you know very wide circulation Mm of of, uh, of this uh, of this research, so I, I think it behoves us to uh, to have a conversation about that, and and indeed we are um, with uh, colleagues at the University of Swansea gonna uh, do a workshop uh, on this uh, yeah. in April, which I'm really quite looking forward to.
0: And this actually this conversation around ethics and terrorism research. We need to have it outside of terrorist research, ter- researching terrorist use of the internet. We have to look at it in relation to all of our, uh, all of the research in relation to terrorism. There's, I know Tori Bjorgo um, has stuff That's coming right. out. Jeffrey Muir has stuff coming out as well. I think it's hugely important. Um, like if if we look at say the Boston College affair, if we look right. at all of these situations, right. we have to seriously be be de- looking at this. We have to always be looking at. Our methodologies and, Absolutely. and the ethical issues, and
1: in. and I would say actually also, so you you make a good point. So there is. Uh, a lot of people are thinking about the ethics of terrorism research writ large. Mm. I absolutely think that we need to do that. And some work has been done in the past, so yeah. people have thought this through, and mm-hmm. I think we need to go back and revisit that and exactly. then and, and then produce, um, you know, new reflections. But also, I would say, we need to think about in, in various uh, sort of uh, subdomains of terrorism research. And I think terrorism in the Internet is a particularly interesting one because people in internet research, in internet studies, Mm. okay, having nothing got to do with the study of terrorism uh, and extremism. They're internet uh, researchers. They have thought deeply uh, about these issues. Mm. Uh, And yet, not very many people uh, in uh, our uh, area who are interested in particular in the intersections of terrorism and the internet seem to have paid a whole lot of attention to this really large literature where these people have, you know, r- reflected for a long time on these issues, come up with guidelines, no. you know, um, uh, there's there's loads of great articles and whatnot that really seek to wrangle, mm. um, you know, with what are some of the difficult problems uh, and what have you. So I do think in terms of my point about uh, I think we need increased interdisciplinarity, yeah. that's one of the directions I think we need to go in. I think we need to pay more attention to Internet yeah. uh, studies. So. Pre- Previously, I said, um, you know, we, we need to focus more uh, on the terrorism and cyber terrorism. Mm. Well, you know, in terrorism and the Internet, I think we need to focus more on the Internet.
0: Yeah. yeah. And this is like, and this is the a message I've been sort of saying in the podcast from, from day one is we don't always have to reinvent the wheel. There are other disciplines who have Correct. done these things, whether it's developed theories around cer- uh, certain behavior or whether it's around ethics of research we don't and even within our own discipline we have to look back at what was done before Absolutely. we have to be aware of our history Absolutely. Uh, not our discipline but our area of research and and really look at this the final bit that you recommend here and being international women's day it's a very appropriate um uh, theme to draw on but it's surprising in a in a in a in somewhat looking at determining the role of the internet is we need to pay more attention to gender why particularly uh, in our research of terrorist use of the internet, should we be paying a particular, uh, more particular attention to gender?
1: Uh, I think actually for a whole host uh, of reasons so uh, number one I have to say that um, so a lot of the time um, people use the term gender and they mean women mm-hmm. that's not what I mean uh, in this instance yeah. it's a portion of what I mean so one of the things that I think we need to do is pay more attention to women mm-hmm. um, as users in online uh, spaces mm-hmm. uh, and particularly in violent extremist uh, and terrorist uh, cyberspaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again I think that's a useful thing to do for sort of even just for comparative purposes uh, if you like because what it does is it potentially throws up all all kinds of things that you might not uh, otherwise uh, think of. Uh, It's just a a positive thing uh, I think uh, to do uh, in and of itself because I I think that um, you know the internet really throws a spanner Mm -hmm. uh, in the works as regards you know uh, identities. Mm -hmm. Um, You know there's the famous New Yorker cartoon that everybody refers to you know. Nobody knows you're a dog um, on the internet. Uh, And... It's certainly the case that in um, a great many um, extremist cyberspaces, I would hypothesize it's, it's difficult uh, now to research, um, I would hypothesize that many women, uh, for example, female users um, are representing uh, as male. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly um, I talked to uh, various female researchers in this domain that I've known uh, over time and particular people who hung out on the forums, mm-hmm. you know, back in the Hands of time, uh, it, who maintain now social media profiles and that kind of thing. And to a woman, they said that they represented themselves as men uh, in these, in particular, jihadi uh, cyberspaces.
0: Is this what's called pulling a Mulan? Is, is it, this, that is... that's exactly
1: that's it, that somewhat uh, mm. go, goes uh, goes mm. to that. I mean, the, the, the pulling the uh, Mulan thing, which which comes from a um, an ISD, the Institute for Strategic uh, Dialogue, mm. um, introduced this idea in one. One of their analysis of uh, women and uh, jihadi women and their activity online is this idea that um there are some women within jihadi circles who are um relatively happy to take up their roles at so called in a verticom again jihadi brides mm. but that other women might have had desires you know greater than that mm. to have a more um sort of um frontline mm-hmm. uh roles but but that's a part of it but like i said it's not just about women so certainly yeah. it's that but number two thing I would say is that it's really interesting to uh, think about how masculinities um, or how various ideas of masculinity you know play out in these extremist cyberspaces uh, also whether it's in jihadi uh, cyberspaces or also pretty obviously in extreme right uh cyberspaces Uh, and and that's something that really hasn't got uh any attention uh to date and that i think is uh really really hugely important also
0: oh i i completely agree and when yeah you're right when we're looking at gender it shouldn't be just Uh, Looking at women, there's so much, it's so much broader there. Actually, I didn't realize until I read this article, Uh, I didn't know about the the web's, the jihadi mag Al Could yep. you uh, could you tell our listeners about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there have been over time um, numerous uh, magazines that have been produced by jihadi uh, organizations that are directly targeted uh, at women, and there are um, Al Khansa is one that uh, gets uh, referred to uh, quite often. But actually, there are a number circulating uh, at at the present time uh, also, and and there were um, other um, magazines previous uh, to that and there's an interesting question um, about these which is of course you know who's producing them i think most uh, let's say most females who've come across this content believe that it's largely men okay. um, because of the nature of the content yeah. in them it's and it seems relatively out of touch um uh, with um, with the, with the views of women um uh, so I, I think it's interesting. It's also interesting, actually, to potentially look at the content targeted at women in the broader jihadi yeah. uh, magazines and the portrayal of women uh, in those, women uh, and girls uh, in those also. Uh, and they, they, uh, 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 they do contain, uh, some of them, you know, uh, calls for contributions mm-hmm. uh, from uh, females, but it's unclear mm-hmm. uh, if any subsequent co- contributions are actually actually uh by uh women
0: okay no it's 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 really interesting and something i'm going to read about uh, a good bit more after after this now you we i mentioned in the introduction one of the things that you're interested in is uh, these debates around online radicalization mm-hmm. what's your take on online radicalization is it possible is it something that uh is over-exaggerated uh has it happened
1: So, my opinion um, has been for some time that the internet probably plays a greater role in radicalization for individuals who are um, further from zones of conflict. Okay. So, it seems to me that um, it's probably much easier to be radicalized if you find yourself uh in a hot conflict zone wherever that may be uh rather than if you're somebody who is um sort of con- consuming Um, The conflict uh, from far away when I think the internet Mm -hmm. is likely to play um, a much uh, greater role. Do I think that some people can be almost wholly radicalized online? Yes, I do. Do I think that that's a lot of people or most people? No, I don't. But... I think it's probably the case, it's my opinion that it's the case, that the Internet um, is playing a pretty significant role in most contemporary cases of radicalization. Mm -hmm. And I think if you think about it, that isn't particularly surprising or an earth shattering Mm -hmm. um, sort of a position because the Internet is playing a greater and greater role in all of our lives. Mm You know, um, but but another thing I think it is um, worth pointing out is that it's not just about uh, radicalization. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Gill uh, and I and some others uh, did some work um, where we tried to disaggregate, mm-hmm. you know, what it is that people were convicted of um, various terrorism offenses here in the UK, what they actually did online. Mm-hmm. And sure, a lot of people, you know, uh, uh did things that we would consider to maybe have played a role in their radicalization viewing videos, you know um, social networking around extremist and terrorist content and what have you but then other people did uh, very straightforward things uh, like um, planning, you know uh, doing sort of virtual recon Mm -hmm. um, you know uh, making purchases whether for you know travel in relation to their attack preparations or indeed um, you know building building IEDs or uh, etc so um, the internet it's not just um, the radicalization piece that's important I think I think it's also worth considering um, the other roles um, that the uh, that the internet uh, is potentially playing
0: oh yeah no this is the the, I I completely agree with you we need this more holistic understanding of, of the role of the internet and outside of this and when we're looking at radicalization not just Uh, considering it from one platform, but considering online and offline. Absolutely. One of the things, before we get on to your your next piece, I think one of the neat messages that really sums up this article uh, determining the role of the internet is the, the call that we need... Both descriptive and explanatory research. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember I, I said to you before more. There's uh, the internet. The research of terrorists mm-hmm. of the internet. It's too descriptive, and you said, but that's important. We need that to, descriptive stuff. But you, you also need with that descriptive, you need the explanatory research. And um, I think that's one of the key messages that comes across here. Why? What do you think we'll gain if we have both of those there?
1: Yeah, like you said, I think they're both. Mm. Um, actually you know quite important mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that we need yeah an inc- increasing amounts of explanatory uh, stuff one of the things uh, for example and, and you sort of mentioned it there in passing I think we could do better um, as regards so our, our focus very often uh, is on the internet and mm. content uh, thereby data Uh, that we find online and what have you. But I I think we could move things forward, for example, by talking to more people about the role that they feel the internet might have played in their coming to ex- extremist viewpoints or being radicalized uh, or what have you. Yeah. Uh, so that that's certainly something uh, that I favor. Now, obviously, there's there's some difficulties in doing that, especially if we have this overweening focus on, you know, in particular, IS. But actually, it's probably um, possible uh, to, to talk to people outside of that realm because yeah. we have... Uh, now, uh, let's say a, a decade of sort of social media uh, activity, and before that, I mean, others were employing the internet before that. So we have uh, potentially, you know, twenty years of of people or users yeah. for whom the internet might or might not have, right? Because it's it's a, they might not have is also really important.
0: Absolutely. Played yeah. a role. Yeah, and like, and this is, I think, it, it, it's it's something that. Sometimes is missed uh, when looking at uh, terrorist communications as a whole Um, and I know the internet isn't just used for communications but focusing in on the communications it's it's not just by what it's said is said it's how people are interacting with this absolutely what because we can only get the message that's intended uh when we when we look at what's online but if we don't know how people are interacting we don't know whether people trust this or not we don't know how this is motivating them either direction as well i think that's that is a it's a vital step that there are researchers taking that but there are there are uh, a, a number that that aren't taking that step as well so we have to have that, as well as the descriptors we have to have the explanatory as well
1: absolutely and 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 go, going to that uh, and going back to a point already made you see I, I think a lot of people who are researching in this space and there's nothing particularly wrong with this but they're more interested in the terrorism portion yeah and in particular a lot of people who've done good work in this area are interested in, in particular in the islamic state mm-hmm. and like I say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but I th- then think that it's important that others really try and combine, yeah. right? Um, and this goes to your point: our, our focus on the terrorism piece with a focus on the internet piece, the workings of the internet, and how these two interact, because that's the real—that's where you get the real insights. I yeah. think is where you have real um, overlap b- between these two.
0: Yeah, and it's a. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to read that when you're saying uh, Northern Ireland, Irish-related terrorism. It's the most research that's right. out there. So much research on the Ra, but very little on, on uh, distant Republican use of the internet. Now yourself and Lorraine, Bowman Greaves yep. have a piece out and there are a few others. But really, you're right. These other groups outside of IS aren't really researched as much and no, they not like, at all. we've got we've got some on al-qaeda as well we've got some on other jihadi groups yeah. but outside of that oh, no. you're so and good. i
1: mean it's not as if um hamas
0: yeah.
1: uh, hezbollah yeah. who are people who have a, a, a have been thinking through their media strategy for a very very yeah. uh long time um you know the pkk mm-hmm. um and a whole host of others who are still uh, active Uh, In the real world in inverted commas uh, and very much in online settings uh, Also,
0: we need to pay attention to this as well because it's very likely that IS are paying attention to what Hezbollah are doing What Hamas are doing what others are doing as well. So we we should be we should be We should we
1: we should we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention for like uh, for Purposes, like I say, of of comparison, because even if you're just interested in IS, the the comparison will throw up other stuff. But actually, you know, there is sort of after IS. I I have no particular opinion on when that will be, but it will be uh and and, you know what's coming next and what have you what's coming next in terms of the violent extremism and terrorism space what's coming next in the internet uh Mm -hmm. space right uh and and it's important i think for us to 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 sort of keep our eye uh on what's happening in both those spaces and the intersections of those spaces not just in the is online space exactly
0: no completely completely and moving on to your final piece it's it's not just us academics who should be uh, paying attention. The private sector, these online, uh, these organizations, social media organizations, and externally from social media as well, they they need to and are paying attention as well. This piece of research, the final piece we're going to talk about, is called uh, "Disrupting Daesh. and it's looking specifically at disruption strategies on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, broadly uh, broadly looking at that. This and all your a lot of your research that we've talked about here. Uh, comes from Voxpol. It's. Uh, would you be able to tell our listeners what exactly Voxpol is? Because it's. It's actually what you're becoming very widely known for now at the moment.
1: Yeah, sure. So VoxPol uh, stands for violent online political extremism uh, and it's a network of excellence. That's the EU's terminology, mm-hmm. not ours, uh, but the EU funded our so-called network um, of excellence uh, in um, within the framework program seven uh, funding yeah. round. Uh, and they funded us uh, for five years to set up uh, this network that uh, really um, has at least two core sort of functions. Number one is to carry out research about violent extremism Mm -hmm. and terrorism and the internet. And the other is to do outreach Mm -hmm. and to network uh, with a whole host of others, other researchers, particular early career researchers Mm -hmm. students and what have you but also others who are professionally tasked in this area whether it's policymakers law enforcement representatives from social media companies Mm -hmm. and what have you and also other people who have an interest in these issues like civil society groups uh and that kind of thing whether they're you know um anti-hate organizations or they're free speech organizations Mm -hmm. uh and what have you so that's what, what we've we've tried uh to do uh uh, we hold uh, different events that target different audiences so we have a summer school for PhD students we have a conference coming up uh, at o- in August at the University of Amsterdam uh, that's a more traditional um, academic uh, conference we have smaller uh, workshops uh, and what have you uh, and uh, in those um, we we develop and we present our own uh, research that we're undertaking um, within the context of Voxpal but we We also, you know, support others and invite them uh, and what have you so they can share uh, their research and that we can, you know, contribute to the pool of learning uh, in this area
0: brilliant it's it's keeping you busy anyway it's
1: yeah a, it's it's a, it's a big project we're, we're happy yeah. that it's 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 not just me it's uh, uh you know uh, Lisa McInerney who's yeah. our project uh, manager many people know her also and a whole host of colleagues uh, and and friends in this um uh who are, who are doing great work uh in this domain
0: yeah no it's brilliant and it's uh, you've had some really really interesting outputs and uh, that are having an impact I can see already and the one that you've picked here uh, is the piece Disrupting Diet. Could you explain to our listeners what this piece is about?
1: Yeah, so one of the things I, uh, I say in um, you know the Six Suggestions uh, article is that, um, and goes to a point you made also, that we don't need to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time uh, in, in our research in this domain. And really, we should do uh, more outreach mm-hmm. and uh, engage in interdisciplinary research. So one of the most important aspects of this particular research for me is that I undertook it um, with um, a group of computer science uh, colleagues. So um, a number of us, um, Moyne, who's my PhD student, uh, and Suraj Lakhani uh, from Sussex are from uh, social science uh, Mm -hmm. backgrounds. Uh, But uh, Jeremy and Andrew and David uh, are computer scientists uh, from um, the lab at the University um, of Sussex. Uh, And what the computer scientists can can do is they can much more easily collect really large amounts of data than yeah. we can as social scientists. And then secondly, they have various tools available uh, to them that can be tailored so that we can more easily analyze these very large yeah. amounts of data, which is also a problem yeah. uh, for social scientists. So in this particular uh, piece of research, what we did was we identified um, a bunch of um, pro-Islamic state accounts on yeah. Twitter. And then for comparison purposes. Um, we um, also um, uh collected um, a bunch of um, other accounts and we, we we put them into this category that we called other jihadi yeah. because we, we just wanted to make the comparison between is and their activity uh, on Twitter uh, and um, this sort of control group of other jihadis mm-hmm. uh, if you like and what we our main focus was to measure the levels of disruption by Twitter um, of pro is accounts on their platform which we found to be really uh, quite significant and we 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 present you know quantitative data and whatnot but i think the the important piece is to say that in our opinion um there no longer is a community you know a, a, a pro is community on twitter which is not to say that there aren't some pro is accounts on twitter because we know in what i call you know the golden age of is on twitter in 2014 and 2015 there was a really strong, really emotionally supportive um, pro-IS community mm. uh, on there and indeed there was a whole host of sub-communities uh, yeah. you know they were divided along sort of language lines you know there was English speaking um, fans and mem- and members um, on there there was obviously Arabic speaking communities but also things you know uh, along the lines of ethnicity also the Chechens, the Al-Shishanis are on there, um, there was uh, uh, groups of women Mm-hmm. um that were on there um it, it, basically there was a, a whole bunch of subgroups and then it, it all coalesced into this really large vibrant network mm-hmm. it's not there anymore. So even though there are pro-IS accounts and there's these sort of raids uh, that take place, so they just um, set up loads of uh, accounts really fast and and they try and just distribute uh, content, Mm. but they they also get taken down really fast now, some of them in literally seconds or minutes, uh, depending, yeah.
0: And is it because of these disruption techniques that that community is not there or is there something broader that's happening?
1: It's largely largely because um, of this disruption activity, I would say.
0: And has Twitter like academics being largely focused on is yes. and ignoring the other yes
1: so yeah. one of the things that we found and we're doing some more work uh mm. on this uh at the present time in fact one of the things that we found is that there's what we call differential disruption taking place yes. and the biggest focus um by twitter is definitely on is and other groups including you know hayat tahrir al-sham um mm so al-qaeda linked uh, organizations other violent jihadi groups that are active in syria and also on the twitter platform and others, you know, uh, extending outwards, um, are, 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 are not really subject to the same type of disruption um, mm. that uh, that IS is. This is not to say that Hyatt, for example, um, aren't subject to some disruption, mm. they are. But it, it's not to the same extent uh, uh, as IS. IS is, in my opinion, pretty much uh, uh, decimated uh, on
0: Twitter. Amazing. May, and... Within this, you say that even though, like, this community is almost decimated, you do see individuals returning uh, Absolutely. to Twitter. And you see them locking their accounts, diluting the content of yep. the tweets, using innocuous yep. profile pics, and adopting meaningless uh, Twitter handles.
1: Yeah.
0: How do we know that these are people returning? Well, like, this This comes from the metallurgical yep. point of view and what the computer scientists yep. are doing. How is it that, that we know that this is a return?
1: Yeah, so... Um yeah, I guess, it. it so qualitatively, mm-hmm. very much now, um, I would say that that's the impression uh, that we got. Okay. You know, it's definitely people, uh, there's definitely users who are trying to stay below the radar. Okay. You know, once upon a time, what you would do is you could be very out and proud. Mm. Your carousel image, you know, uh, you could have uh, the ISIS's black flag, for example. You could have... Um, you know, um bin laden or Baghdadi or um any one of a host of other sort of leaders from mm. the jihadi world um as your profile picture or you know a lion or indeed again uh the, the black flag is your profile picture also and then you could tweet continuously you know pro-islamic state uh, content that's just no longer uh, a possibility and certainly in the early part of when twitter began to disrupt is online one of the ways in which i i Think in my opinion, definitely they found these accounts was simply by looking at the profile pictures and the carousel oh, okay. uh, images, um, and, and it was a certainly a very easy way for anyone who was interested in, in researching in this area and who was always on the lookout for accounts and whatnot. You could just look at followers, you could look at lists of following, and you could just identify these accounts so easily yeah. by the signalling that was contained in the profile pictures yeah. and the carousel um, images. You know, uh, so they know that if they're going to stay below the radar now, you have to have a totally innocuous carousel image, totally innocuous uh, profile picture. Mm -hmm. And you really need to, um, you're really skating that line, Mm -hmm. you know? So you cannot be explicitly uh, pro-IS or you will be um, pretty immediately uh, taken down. And, And the impact that has is that, you're no longer now signaling to other members um, of the community or other fans who might be, you know, looking for like-minded people. But you can't signal with your you know, your profile picture that's of flowers uh, mm. or whatnot. So you're signaling nothing by that. Or by your carousel image, that's just a landscape, totally mm. innocuous landscape. There's no signaling there of your politics, your ideological commitments uh, and whatnot. And now your tweets as well, unless you r- really read these many, many of them and read them really closely, mm. do, do, you, do you eventually come to, it, to know that, okay, Really, what this this user appears to be doing is 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 trying to skate, you know, this line, like I say. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, no, it's you no, know, it's really interesting. And like, has there been, like, obviously, there are, we were talking about uh, the ease of looking at the carousel images, the profile images, and being able to identify there. Has there been an equivalent in relation to, I know this this art this report isn't really doing with it but in relation to the far right and far right yeah. symbols so, and do like is, is it because of that that you saw say the adoption of Pepe the Frog and images like that
1: uh, I, I don't think that's the reason um, mm. for the adoption of, of Pepe the Frog I think that's a more complex issue but okay. certainly um, uh, many people were taken down uh, many users were taken down even recently uh, when they had very obviously for example um. Nazi or neo-Nazi symbology mm-hmm. uh, in their profiles now not all of them uh, have been taken down and you know this is a very tricky issue obviously yeah. this question of the extreme right and the response to them uh, online because most people can agree that um, is content Especially things like, for example, beheading videos Mm. or um, very clearly instructional content, for example, should be taken down. But the questions even begin to arise. The tricky questions even begin to arise once you get to content like the Amur al-Awlaki content. Right. Because some of it falls into this terrorism category. But a lot of it does not explicitly fall into this category. Uh, Right. So it begins to break down the consensus begins to break down almost immediately and in fact in relation to sort of violent in in the violent jihadi sphere uh, even and there's another interesting issue here which I um, oftentimes bring up in policy contexts and whatnot and it's this um, you know you could take down all of the explicitly terrorist content produced by IS but actually what you'd be left with is absolutely tons of content that is utopian in nature that portrays their so-called caliphate in this really utopian light and do you want to do that do you want to leave up only content that is um positive, that that portrays the activity of IS uh, mm-hmm. in a positive way. Now, the answer to that usually is that, no, we, we take down content. This is what social media companies will tell you now. They take down content uh, that is IS content because IS are a terrorist yep. uh, organization. And, mm-hmm. and when it's branded with their logo and whatnot, that's a relatively uh, easy decision. But like I say, Consensus breaks down very fast. And when you get to other violent jihadi organizations, so outside of, let's say, um, I- IS and, say, Al-Qaeda-linked organizations, even when you begin to get to Arar al-Sham, mm-hmm. uh, for example, and never mind then you know going outwards, mm-hmm. the consensus breaks down completely. Uh, and then when you arrive at, for example, the extreme right in a Western context, it's very difficult because you know it's easy for us to point to islamic state and to consider them as some kind of evil other yeah but we're much more we're, we're much less likely to point to people who are much closer to ourselves uh. you know uh who are us uh if you like and to point to them as the evil other and so you know um there's a a much uh, greater um, tolerance Mm -hmm. um, for the kind of content that's being produced by the extreme right, even though some of it um, it, it clearly makes calls uh, for for violence and what have you. And even in in its symbology, you know, when people are using um, Nazi symbols, um, I would say that that in itself is a call for violence. It's a call, in fact, for genocidal um, violence, um, which is... You know, not something, you know, to just be you know, d- dismissed as a sort of a rhetoric or whatnot. Oh,
0: exactly. Exactly. With this piece, like you have recommendations here, not just this isn't just pitched towards academics. This is uh, pitched externally from academia as well. What would be the core recommendations that you and your co-authors have uh, from this report? So.
1: Well, it, from from a researcher um, perspective, um, one of the things that I guess we say is, uh, look, uh, A good thing to do, and and probably this is implicit uh, in Mm -hmm. it, but I I guess it's important to me, Mm -hmm. uh, is that we can usefully, as social scientists and as terrorism researchers, uh, work with uh, uh, computer scientists. Uh, And that's an important thing. From a policy sort of perspective, um, we... we're really focused uh, in the piece uh, on the disruption uh, Mm -hmm. issue Uh, and uh, one of the things we say is well we should uh, focus more uh, on the disruption or the levels of disruption um, of other groups Mm -hmm. Uh, and in fact uh, one of the things that we're doing uh, at the present time like i say is doing precisely that so i'm doing some work again with the sussex uh, colleagues and we're looking at uh, the disruption of uh, or the levels of disruption and the type of activity that's ongoing on Twitter on the part of Arar al-Sham, uh, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, uh, the Taliban, uh, and indeed the continuing IS uh, presence. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's going to be some um, updated mm-hmm. uh, research and, and we think is worthwhile. But also that we need to extend... Uh, beyond uh, Twitter. So yeah. like, like I said in, in the sort of the uh, six suggestions piece, we need to extend beyond IS, which, which we sort of began to do, mm. and we need to extend uh, beyond Twitter, which, which we also um, have done somewhat in the disrupting Daesh piece. But in this new um, work that we're doing, we're really trying to sort of map this wider jihadi uh, media ecology. Mm. Uh, and do some more um, outlink uh, analyses in order to determine, you know, what are the other online spaces that are presently uh, being employed, um, because one of the things that people focus on is the shift by is to telegram and clearly that's important but actually also they and others have diversified to a whole host of other platforms mm. and they don't really get much attention uh in the research
0: no no definitely i think these are hugely important uh, recommendations that need to be listened to we've touched on it a bit throughout the the interview um but the way i finish up uh, each of these these podcasts is to ask What do you feel is the current state of terrorism research broadly in general and you can talk specifically again about uh, terrorist use of the internet and our, our research we've touched on that and that quite a bit but do you feel that it's stagnating or do you feel that it's in a much healthier state than that?
1: you know I think one of the one of the uh, criticisms once upon a time was that a lot of people were engaged in terrorism research just engaged in it in a sort of a one-time way so a lot of the publications were one-time publications and what have you and so I think it's positive that more people seem to be committing for the longer term their sort of career terrorism researchers uh, Mm -hmm. if you like that's a positive thing in one aspect I'm not so so sure it's so positive in another aspect Mm. Um, you know uh, there is I guess, a way in which maybe a lot of people were enticed into uh, this realm um, in a post 9-11 setting. But but even later, uh, in fact, because there was a lot of research uh, funding available. Yeah. And I'm perfectly well aware that I'm not in a great position uh, to, 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 to talk, as they say, in an Irish context um, in, in many respects. But, um, you know, I hope um, that when that funding drains away which hopefully it will. it will yeah yeah you know that many or most people will remain committed to doing uh terrorism yeah. uh research because I, I think that's quite important and i guess that will be a bit of a test uh of things in terms of um In terms of the work that's been undertaken uh, in in, in the domain that I'm most interested in. So uh, with respect to terrorism uh, and the Internet, um, I think there's a lot of good work presently being undertaken. I think it's something that um, a lot of Ph.D. students and early career researchers are focused on. And that's always good because this is such a fast changing area. You know, um, the violent extremism and terrorism space is very fast changing. It's really in flux at the present time. And the Internet is a hugely fast changing space. So when you put those (laughs) two things together, you kind of always need, you know, uh, new researchers, people coming in with new ideas, you know, uh, and 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 that's important and, and i think that's happening uh which is good and then i am seeing more um what we might call interdisciplinarity yeah. um, which i also think uh is is uh is a positive thing
0: yeah no definitely definitely and it's it's great to see that there are teams like uh, your team, your Network of Excellence and Fox You've got the team in Swansea. You've got uh, groups elsewhere who are really concentrating on this, um, not just from individual research point of view, but getting the, those teams together. It's It can only be a positive. Maura, uh, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. It's been a great pleasure, as always, to chat to you. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at... Seeing as we've been talking about Twitter, I might as well get my Twitter plug in. But, uh, follow us on at T-E-R-C-U-E-L. Don't worry, I don't think our account is going to be disrupted and taken down. Any t- I hope not, anyway. You never know. And, um, uh, I'll blame you if it is more. <laughs> and uh, tweet us with the hashtag Talking Terror. TalkingTerror. Um, be sure to come back next week to listen to uh, my chat with Joshua Freilich, where we'll be talking about broad range of of his research as well. But until then, goodbye.